Welcome to You Are Not A Goat. If you want to follow your passion and do what you love, this is the podcast for you. Without further ado, here's your host, Slimy Zions. Hello and welcome to another amazing edition of a super awesome podcast titled You Are Not a Goat. My name is Shlomi Zients and I'm your host. Boy, do we have a show for you today. As you know, one of my goals with this podcast is to inspire people to live better lives, do things they enjoy doing, follow their passions and their dreams. Perhaps you've always wanted to take a trip around the world, start a hobby, play a musical instrument, found a business, something like that. Now is the time. There's never been a better time and... There's never been a person who's more suited to do what you need to do than you. You were born an original and you don't want to die a copy. So please, please, please start something. I want to get feedback from people saying, you know what? I always, I, I did something that I've always been wanting to do. I've done it now. That's what the point of this podcast is. I want to hear that from you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it tremendously. It means the world to me. And also it would mean the world to me if you left a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We are everywhere. We're on YouTube. We're on iTunes. We're on Podbean on Stitcher, on Spotify. By the time you hear this podcast, we should be on Google Music Play, whatever it's called. Every week we're expanding to new platforms, so there's no excuse not to listen. And please, please, please leave a review. It literally takes 20 seconds from your time. Do you know how much time it takes to make the podcast? Many, many hours every single week. I do it gladly, but please leave me a review. It'll help the show grow and attract more listeners. Anyhow, this week we have an amazing interview which I conducted a couple of weeks ago. Uh, rather, months ago, with a fellow named Aaron Krauss. Aaron Krauss is the founder and CEO of Scrub Daddy. Scrub Daddy is a company that makes sponges. Their sponge is famous all over America. It's America's favorite, most favorite sponge. And he turned it from literally a product that he invented years back. It sat in his garage for years. Invented, all ready to go, but he just didn't think people would like it. And then he turned this into a massive, massive, massive company worth over $100 million. And it's crazy because I know that I've had ideas years back. And I thought, you know, I should really do something about my idea. This is a good idea. I think people would like it. And then I just sit on it for a couple of years. Don't do anything. And very often, this could be a good idea that I'm sitting on, but I just don't do anything about it. And I'm sure many of you have experienced the same thing, where you're doing something or you have an idea for something and you just put it on the back burner, you don't deal with it, and it's unfortunate because Aaron Krauss turned the company into a massive, massive profit maker from a product that he left sitting in a box for five years, and perhaps you can do the same. Maybe you've done something, maybe you've invented something, maybe you came up with some idea that has never been done before, and if you don't act on it soon, someone else might get that idea. That would not be a good thing. You want to make the money, you want to have the success, so please act on whatever you have. All your ideas, perhaps inventions or anything like that. Don't wait till tomorrow. Just do it today. And please, listen to this interview. Enjoy it. Tell your friends. And without further ado, here is Aaron Kraus, founder and CEO of Scrub Daddy. Aaron Kraus, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I also am affectionately known now as the daddy of the scrub daddy, and I'm excited and honored to be here. We are honored to have you. 
just right as we start, can you tell me a little bit about your background, where you're from, and the like? Of course. So I was born in the western suburbs of Philadelphia uh, in an area called Wynwood, Pennsylvania, uh, where I grew up and attended um, Akiba Hebrew Academy. I studied Hebrew, Bed Midrash, Jewish practice, Jewish ethics, and Jewish calendar, in addition to all the rest of my regular studies. Um, so for a while, I spoke Hebrew pretty fluently, and um, it's had a large impact on my life, and my two children currently attend the Barrack Hebrew Academy, which is actually the same school uh, which was renamed um, about 10 or 15 years ago. So I'm uh, a big part of the Jewish community here, and my children are just about to have their B'nai Mitzvot. Very nice. Pazalto. So what's your work background before all this started? Well, it's interesting. Um, I come from a, a family of, of major overachievers. Um, my dad is a cardiac surgeon. My mom's a pediatrician. They went to some of the best medical schools in the country, uh, my older sister graduated number one out of high school, number one out of University of Pennsylvania, number one out of Stanford Law School, and she is now a Third Circuit uh, Court of Appeals judge. She's one heartbeat away from becoming a Supreme Court justice. And my younger sister is <laughs> went to Cornell and Duke, and she's a uh, PhD. Um, and I kind of took a different path. Um, for a while, I was the black sheep of the family. Um, I always was more into sports. Uh, than I was into just uh, cold academics. And I f also found a passion for cleaning. Uh, when I was younger, my, my dad uh, started taking things away from me for my birthday presents instead of giving me presents. So in my 13th birthday part, uh, present was, uh, from now on, you buy your own sneakers. And when I asked him how, was, you know, how, how the heck I was going to do that, uh, he said, well, you can, you know, clean your room is worth a dollar. You can vacuum the floors worth $2, do the dishes is $3. And uh, washing the car would earn me $10. And so I became a really professional car washer. I would do my parents' cars. Then I started walking around the neighborhood, knocking on people's doors, and I started washing all these people's cars in neighborhoods, mostly because a lot of these kids went to my mom as a pediatrician. So when I knocked on the door, they knew who I was. And I built up a following of about 300 people. And so when I graduated Syracuse University uh, in 1992 with a degree in uh, a minor in marketing and a, um, a degree in psychopharmacology, uh, my parents asked me, what are you gonna do with your life? And I said, you know, I'd like to start my own business. And they were like, wow, that sounds great. You know, what kind of business? I said, well, I've been washing cars since I was a kid. I think I'll start a, a hand car washing business. So you can imagine oh, two professional goodness. Jewish parents <laughs> Um, my mom was crying. My grandmom said, you can disown him. And, uh, and my dad said, son, you have until the end of the summer to make it into a legitimate business and get it out of my garage. And, and that's what I did. Um, and he actually also said to me, however much money you can save up in a bank account, I will loan you um, at two points higher than the bank because you're a bad credit risk. <laughs> and that's how I started my first business called Dedication to Detail in 1992 washing and waxing cars. And in that business, I, one day I discovered um, that the, the polishing pad that I was using um, was not the right shape. I actually damaged a car because um, I was trying to get around the mirror and the pad was not shaped properly. And I didn't blame my, my skills, I blamed the shape of the pad. And I had an idea of what this product should look like and it would do a much better job. And I ended up patenting that, and I ended up figuring out a way to manufacture that. 
And by 1994, I was actually washing cars during the day and making buffing pads at night and selling them. And after we started selling them, it only took about six months. We were selling them all over the world. And I sold the car washing business and I started mass manufacturing buffing pads. And that business from 1994 um, until about 2007 just grew exponentially. Um, we, I created, I found out that I had a knack not just for running a business, um, but also for inventing. And I started inventing all kinds of products and processes around this buffing pad. And in, in uh, 2000, I invented the first quick connect, disconnect, double side reversible buffing pad that was automatic centering. And that really changed the world uh, in terms of my industry. And by 2007, um, I was taking a large piece of the market share from the largest uh, manufacturer of buffing pads in the world, which coincidentally is one of the largest companies in the world called 3M. And right. 3M, as you know, makes everything from scotch tape to filters, uh, but they also make everything in a body shop. And all the chemicals, and they make the spray guns, they make the masks, and they have a huge buffing pad business. And they came to me in 2007 um, and said, we would like to talk about acquiring your business. And that turned into a, a one-year fight <laughs> uh, where we would argue every day about the price. And we ended up coming to an agreement where a bunch of products that they didn't want, um, including a brush that cleans a buffing pad and an apron that I invented that has cord holders on it and a stupid little hand scrubbing sponge called Scrub Daddy that they didn't want. We removed those from the deal, and I sold the company in 2008 to 3M, um, which was a, you know, a huge turning point in my life. Um, I went from you know, working like a dog and never making money till I finally actually had money and I had a nest egg. And I actually became a developer and a consultant um, for them for the next five years. Um, and this little product that was called Scrub Daddy, we ended up putting it in a box and labeling it scrap because we really weren't selling many of them. And then when 3M didn't want it, I kind of gave up on the whole project. Scrub Daddy was invented as a way to clean my dirty hands. And then I thought, well, I like it so much. Let me try to sell it to the body shops who were, those guys' hands must be getting dirty. And no one wanted to pay $4 for a hand scrubbing sponge. So we did put it in a box and I labeled it scrap. Five years later, in 2011, my wife was nagging me to clean the lawn furniture. And I started out using a traditional green scouring sponge that has the yellow, smelly, stinky sponge on the other side. Right. And it started scratching the paint off of it. And I said, oh, I can't use this. Uh, and that's when I remembered that I had a box of these old, you know, rough scrubbers sitting in the factory. So I brought them home and I started scrubbing the lawn furniture with them. And that particular day happened to be 50 degrees outside Fahrenheit. And so I didn't want to work outside in cold water. So I made the, buck, the, the water uh, like a bucket of really hot, soapy water. Okay. And when I plunged the sponge into that warm water, it went completely soft. It lost all of its scrubbing capabilities. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. I, I didn't know that this did that. Um, and it was advantageous because when it was soft, I could fit it between the slats in the, in the chair. And I could right. fit it in, and mold it into smaller areas. But as I was scrubbing... It was 50 degrees outside, and the product started crystallizing and getting harder in my hand. And the harder it got, the better it scrubbed. So I actually went and made a, a bowl of ice water, and I would dip it in that, 
and I would really scrub hard. And then when I needed to be softer or rinse it off, I would put it in the warm water. And that's the first time I discovered that this product that we had invented for scrubbing hands um, actually had a texture changing quality. Uh, and, and it also rinsed so clean that I didn't even throw out the one that I scrubbed all the lawn furniture with. I put it at my sink and that night I started doing the dishes with it. And I had made these two eye holes, um, not to look cute. Um, and, and at that time there was no smile face. It was just two holes. And those holes were for cleaning your fingers for, you know, if you were scrubbing your hands, you would stick your finger in one of the holes and spin it and it would clean all the way around your finger. And the two holes were so it would hold onto your hand. And I cut some ridges on the top that now kind of look like hair to get underneath my fingernails. So I was doing the dishes and I picked up a cup and normally you hold a sponge around the outside and it makes it difficult to get into small areas like cups and bowls and mugs and coffee pots and muffin tins. And then you start to look around your kitchen and all the things are round. Very few things are actually with corners. And so why our sponges are all rectangular seems wrong. And this was like the most advantageous way to clean with. And then I put my fingers in the eye holes. I got all the way to the bottom of the cup and I pulled it out and looked at it. And I was like, oh, my God, if it had a smiley face, I could clean the silverware on both sides at the same time. And that is when Scrub Daddy was reborn and repatented as the smiley face character that everybody knows and loves now. And it's actually become uh, America's favorite sponge. And we actually hold um, the, the number three brand of sponges in the country. And we have 50% brand awareness. Wow. So you're telling me that this whole thing was a mistake. The entire thing was an accident. An, an <laughs> it accident, was not, yeah. I had not, I had not developed this, material to become a, a sponge for scrubbing your kitchen where I'd made it to scrub your hands. And you know, these serendipitous mistakes are not uncommon in inventions, actually. Actually, they're very common. Many drugs um, for pharmaceuticals are invented for one purpose, and they end up not working that well for that. But during the trials, they find out this is lowering people's blood pressure so well, and the product becomes a blood pressure drug. And in fact, um, you know, 3M, the company that purchased me in, in 2008, always talks about how they invent things, you know, by accident for one thing, and then they discover that its actual purpose was something completely different. If you're familiar with a product called Scotchgard Fabric Protectant, yeah. um, that was being developed as something completely different, as a coating for something, and it fell on one of the researcher's shoes, and then he walked to his car in the snow and ice. And when he got there, one of his shoes was completely dirty and covered with slush and mud and snow and ice. And the other one was completely clean and the water was rolling off of it. And he was like, wow, what is that? And they end up creating this fabric protectant called Scotchgard that people know and has become so famous. So I don't want to call it a mistake. I call it one of these serendipitous accidents and inventors. Um, like myself, uh, and I consider myself an inventor um, mm -hmm. more than even an entrepreneur or a business person because I love to invent products. I have over 20 patents now. Um, nice. we, we all recognize that sometimes you're creating something, but you need to know how to pivot and, and realize that this may have far-reaching implications or applications. My question is, what did you intend to invent when you made the sponge? Because it seems like this it was it's perfect for what it's being used for now. But what did you 
intend to do with it and how come is there this why is there this chemical reaction so what i intended to create was a way to clean my dirty hands right i had i had not i had not just been inventing products but when i was making the buffing pads i was inventing the processes and the machinery to create the buffing pads i would create a new invention in the buffing pad and it was a great idea for instance I invented the first buffing pad that has an indicator line that tells you when it's worn out. And it's a great invention. Well, how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, there's no equipment in the world that does that, that puts the indicator line in. So I had to invent not just the idea and the product, but also the manufacturing process to make this thing. And so I started inventing machinery. The problem is I would invent the machinery and then I'd be the only one who knew how to fix it. <laughs> So I would spend half the day in the factory under machines, fixing them and repairing them. And my hands were covered in oil and grease. And then I'd have to come back in the office and be the president and CEO of the company. So I was trying to figure out a way to get my dirty hands clean. And I didn't like the options that were out there. There's lava soap and Gojo. They're basically lotion with rocks and it feels disgusting. And it makes your hands, it dries them out and it doesn't suds up and it doesn't smell good. So I just wanted to use my soap and I needed something rough to scrub my hands with. Now, I was making my buffing pads out of urethane foam. And I, had, I knew every company in the world that made foam. And I thought, why don't I contact the foam companies and see if I can get them to make me a really rough, tough foam. And I contacted all these different companies and send me, send me the roughest foams you have. Well, this company in Germany sends me this material. And it's really interesting. It's very hard. Um, and, but I wanted it to be a little bit stiffer and I wanted the holes to be a little bit bigger and I wanted the tensile strength to be a little bit stronger and I wanted it to be a little bit denser. And so I started a project with them in about 2006 to create this material for me to scrub my hands. And lo and behold, they did it. They made this material by adding different chemicals and making it really stiff. Now I had never tested it in hot water. I didn't wash my hands in hot water. Uh, in the back of the factory, we didn't even have hot water. It was just a cold sink, just like you have in a body shop. Right. So I never, I never knew that it had this texture-changing property to it um, until that day in 2011 where I started to you know, dunk it into hot water because it was cold outside. So it was just one of these like, amazing serendipity moments where you realize, wait, this thing has properties I didn't even know I built into it, and these seem to be really advantageous when scrubbing you know, and cleaning uh, you know, items around your home rather than just scrubbing your hands. Now, by the way, scrub diet continues to be known as one of the best things for scrubbing your skin with. And I get testimonials daily from people who now use it in the shower all the time. Uh, and, and it's one of the best exfoliators. It's way better than any loofah. It rinses clean and you can make it nice and warm and scrub, you know, gentle areas of your body. Uh, and you can also make it really rough and scrub your feet and elbows and knees. Wow. So let me ask you a legal question. If you didn't know that the sponge gets soft when it goes into hot water, who does the patent belong to? You or the German company? Uh, neither. So there is no patent on it. Um, the, there's many times. I, I've, I've had 25 more year experience with patents. You get a patent on something when you want to tell everybody in the world what it is, how you make it, what it's made of, because you're sure that you can lock that down. And when you get a patent, you understand that it's going to expire and everybody's going to be able to, to make your product. Right. You don't get a patent 
when you want to lock down intellectual property and know-how, and this company in Germany is actually the only company in the world that can make the material for some very specific reasons. I'm not going to disclose those reasons because that would give up all my intellectual property. But they're the only ones that can make it. And so we don't tell anyone and we don't patent it. I just got a contract with a German company that's in perpetuity. So it's better than a patent because it doesn't expire. I own the rights to this material. It's basically my material. They only make it for me. And I'm not going to tell anyone how, what's the process by which we make it. It is a, a urethane foam. That's the material but it's done in a very, very specialized way. We call it a highly engineered polymer. And I don't want to patent on it because I don't want to disclose everything about the material because then everyone will try to copy it and they'll just try to change the formula to get around our patent. Awesome. Okay, so I was going to ask you if you had any naysayers when you came up with this idea for the sponge or when you realized that it would be a good product, but I'm not going to ask you that question because after you sold your first company for a lot of money, I'm assuming that people believed in you. Well, unfortunately, that's not the case. (laughs) Um, There were a lot of naysayers, um, and uh, there were many people, um, including uh, one of my ex-business partners, who who didn't believe that the product would become something successful, um, and and they didn't even want to be involved in the business, which is you know unbelievable. Um, But there was plenty of people who who at, at one time or another thought no one's ever going to buy a sponge for $4. And that's a quote that we, we basically say in the office all the time. Oh, no one will ever buy a sponge for $4. Um, meanwhile, we've probably sold more than 40 million of them at this point. Wow. So once you got this big idea, what was the process like? What, where did you go from there and how did you start this company? Well, literally the day after I discovered it um, in my home and I did my dishes with it, I came into the office and, and told my, you know, I had four people on my executive team. Um, and I said, listen, I, you're going to think I'm crazy, but you know that sponge that's been sitting in the back of the factory for the last, you know, five years collecting dust? The ones that I you think didn't it's want. The greatest kitchen yeah, the ones that no one wanted. It's been, it's been sitting in the back of the factory, and I, I, I think it's the greatest kitchen scrubbing tool in the world. Take it home. Everybody take it home and let me know your thoughts on it. Um, so two weeks later, we reconvened, and um, my office manager – who now is the senior vice president of corporate operations for Scrub Day, he married a girl from Thailand. And they cook every night very exotic sauces, stuff that stains normal sponges all the time. And he throws sponges out all the time. Right. He said, I will never use another sponge. It's incredible. It always rinses clean. It never smells. And it doesn't scratch anything. And my engineer, who is Russian, he is very negative about things if you've ever met some straight off the boat Russians. They're pretty hardcore and cold and his personality matches that perfectly. And he was like, look, you know, I hate everything, but I kind of like this. And I was like, wow, that's like, if you say that, that's huge. Um, and so that the next step was to invest in some logo creation. Um, we already had a name. It was named Scrub Daddy already uh, in 2007 when we were trying to sell it as a, a hand scrubbing sponge for body shop. So we already had the name, right. but we need to make a really good logo. We need to make packaging. We need to, you know, figure out how this product was going to be on the shelf. And so I invested about hundred thousand dollars into all this branding and all these different assets. And I tried to, to get it onto the shelf. 
And after we did that, I started calling, you know, every store, Bed Bath & Beyond, the supermarket chains, Walmart, Target. I couldn't get through. I couldn't get past a receptionist. Um, okay. No one would call me back. And it looked like it was going to die. And I was pretty frustrated. But a friend of mine uh, who owns five supermarkets in the Cherry Hill area called ShopRite, he said, look, you can put it on the shelves and we'll see if it sells. But I, I don't think it's going to. But I'm happy to give you, you know, some shelf space and you see what you can do. So I, I put it on the shelf and he was right. It, it didn't sell. And I couldn't believe it because we had this beautiful, bright orange packaging and a smiley face smiling at you. But it turns out, you know, people go to the supermarket. They're not looking for the latest in sponge technology. They're looking for their eggs, their milk, their, you know, and they just want to get out of the store. And they just, you know, they just go and, and almost by reflex, they just buy the sponge they've always been buying and they never even look at anything else. So he said, listen, why don't you set up a little like booth and start doing live demos in the store? Show people what this thing can do. So I did that. And, oh, my God, it was I, I, they normally would sell, you know, one to two sponges a day. Right. Um, and I was selling I was selling 100 a day. And wow. he let me do this in all five of his stores. And it was great, except that I couldn't make any money because. You know, I was I was selling him the sponge for a really cheap price, and then he was making money, but I couldn't afford to pay myself, um, and we weren't making enough money to even pay for someone to stand in the store at ten dollars an hour. And I was like, "What am I going to do? I, I, you know, it's not a sustainable business model." Right. And I was really I was really frustrated, um, and I knew we had a really great product, and I said, "How can I get this out to the public?" Um, and not spend, you know, a million dollars on advertising. And I happened to be reading the Philadelphia Inquirer, which is the, the biggest newspaper in our area. And I, I read the business section. Okay. And I was reading this. Is, now, this is 2011. So you need to remember the U.S. was still coming. Well, I was still in a recession, actually, a pretty big one. Um, and people didn't know if we were going to go into a depression or if we were going to come out of it. And right. the newspaper right. was writing all these articles about how the Chinese are taking all our jobs and we're all going out of business and and I called the editor up and I said, you know, you write these stories and you scare people and then they don't go out and shop. And then a couple more businesses go out of business. And then you guys write another story. Why don't you write a story that's positive? I'm in the Philadelphia area. I'm creating jobs. I'm inventing new products. Sold my last coming to 3M and I'm going to do it all over again. And they said, well, you know, what are you doing? And I told them they came down and spent the afternoon with me and they wrote a story on the front page of the business section and they posted it on the Sunday edition, which hits over a million people. And the title of the story was, he's the daddy of the scrub daddy. And it, our phone line started blowing up and our website blew up. People were buying one every minute. And a guy called me up and said, I really enjoyed reading the article and learning about you. And I get products onto QVC. Now, I don't know about if you know what QVC is, but QVC is the, the largest television network in the United States. It's a home shopping channel. 24 hours a day, they're selling products, and they are bigger than ABC, NBC, and CBS combined. Wow. And it is, it is a mega way to get your product you know, sold. Um, so the guy said to me, you know, I get products on QVC, and I said, oh, you work for QVC? He said, no, I'm a broker. And I said, well, you know, why can't I just call QVC and get on myself? Like, why do I need you? Mm -hmm. He's like, if you can do that, you should do that. 
And if you can't, you should give me a call. So it just so happened, talk about serendipity, QVC is 30 minutes away from my factory. QVC is a Philadelphia area-based company in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and that's where their world headquarters is. And so I took a drive out there. Um, I couldn't get through the front door. Uh, they gave me a piece of paper that says go online and fill out our form uh, okay. if you want to submit a product. You can't, you can't talk to anybody here. Right. So I did that, and within hours, they rejected me. Uh, doesn't meet our marketing criteria. It won't sell on TV. Have a nice day. Um, I have that letter actually in my office. <laughs> it's on the wall. It's framed, and it sits right next to uh, the day that we sold 2.1 million scrub days in 24 hours. I love that. I love how you take your failure and put it right next to success so you can remember it always. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it, I, remember, I remember it all the time. Uh, and, I, and I try to make it fun, you know, that I really remember that moment of stress. Anyway, I called the broker back up. I said, I can't get on. And he said, yeah, of course you can't. No one can get on. You know, they, they, they're getting, you know, a thousand submissions a day. And that's why there's an army of brokers that waste our time, our money, you know, our reputation to bring products that we know will sell on QVC, you know, I said, well, what do you get? He said, I get a percentage of everyone you sell. I said, well, let's do this. He got me a meeting within a month, um, went in, met with the buyers. And interestingly enough, they said, we like it. Um, we, want, we want it to be on TV and we want you to be the on-air person. And I was like, oh, forget that. I'm not, I'm not going on TV. Are you crazy? Uh, I've never done it. I can't, I'm not an actor. And they're like, oh, you're going to be great. We, we love your personality. You're going to be fine. Um, so uh, I did a one-day class, and they threw me on air. And I was a deer in the headlights. I didn't know what I was doing. The show was over in like five minutes. I got through almost none of my demonstrations. And uh, normally, that's the kiss of death. Um, that's okay. QVC. They you, you give you one shot on air. You don't hit their numbers. You're never back on again. But this particular instance, um, the buyer and the producer watched my show, and they called my broker and they said, you know what? Uh, the numbers didn't do what we thought, but we really liked Aaron's energy, and we're going to give him one more shot. Um, my second show, I felt much more confident, and I actually, you know, asked the the host. You know, when you go on QVC, it's you and also a QVC person. Okay. They're, that's they're considered the host of the show. And I said, listen, this might be my last time ever on TV. I I really need your help. I have like 40 demos to get through. And she was like, you know what, you do your thing, and I'm going to go, wow, wow, wow. And I did my thing, and we sold out in like four minutes. Um, and then QVC doubled their order and put me on a better time, and I sold out in six minutes. And then they doubled their order to about six or 7,000 sets of six, and I sold out in like eight minutes. Wow. By my fourth show, I felt I was, I was actually loving being in front of the camera like it's such a rush it, it's it's one of the best feelings you can have like when, when you know that people are not just like seeing you on tv like it's one thing to be an actor but it's another thing to be selling the product that you invented that you love that you're so passionate about and then immediately getting the gratification that people are responding and buying it it's totally different than just being like on a TV show. Um, I loved it. I just enjoyed the stress of it. And, the, uh, and, and I, I kind of felt like I was born to be on TV. Like, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I came home one night and I was bragging to my wife how I'm a TV star. 
and she's telling me that I'm an idiot and to be quiet because we're our favorite shows coming on. And it's a show about entrepreneurs and inventors and business people and, and venture capital. And it's called Shark Tank. Shark Tank. And I'm watching these people who have no business representing their product on a national TV show literally ruin their opportunity in front of, you know, these people. Their one chance in life to like make something huge and also, you know, show it to the rest of the world. You got 10 million people watching this thing, you know, and you could, you, even if the sharks don't like it, if you make a great presentation, the people might like it. And I turned to my wife, I said, what a bunch of morons. I could go on that show and kill the sharks. You know what? How do you go on Shark Tank? So I took my phone out, did a search, found a website. Here's the Shark Tank application. I filled it out. Next thing you know, I get a phone call from the producer. And they asked me my story. I told them I'm already on QVC. You can watch my, how, I, how I act on TV. Uh, that led to like two months of interviews. And after two months of interviews, they flew me out to Los Angeles to do an audition in front of 30 executives from Sony and ABC. And that was actually scarier than being on Shark Tank. Um, there's like 30 execs behind laptop computers. You, you don't have any interaction. You just go up and you do your two-minute opening pitch, and someone stands up and, and gives you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. If it's thumbs down, they put you in a van and take you to the airport, and it's, and it's over. And you spent three months like practicing for nothing. Oh, man. And if it's a thumbs up, you go back to your hotel, and you film with the Sharks the next day. And... That's, that's what happened. I got a thumbs up. I got a really funny story, actually. The guy gave me a thumbs up and said, Aaron, that was amazing. Can you do that again? And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I just gave every ounce of energy I have into this. Like, he's like, not now, tomorrow when you film with the sharks. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could do that again. Oh, and, awesome. and I went back to my hotel and, and that was it. And then I filmed with the sharks. And I, mean, I think, you know, um, the rest is history. I, I got a deal with uh, Lori Grenier, who's they call her the queen of QVC, and um, she's a fantastic partner, and I love her. And uh, you know, she's involved with the business anytime I want. Um, I can text her right now, and she'll text and she'll text me back. I called her actually the other day. She just picked the phone up. She's like, "I'm on vacation, but I'll take your call anytime." Wow. And what was the reaction yeah, like when you when you went on the show? How did the sales do? Well, the night that we aired, we had over 30,000 hits on our website, and we sold about a million dollars of product um, that day. Um, from that point on, uh, it never stopped. We started getting calls from every retailer. All the ones that I couldn't get in called me. Bed Bath & Beyond, Walmart, Home Depot, Depot they, all call, they all called me. We want this product in our stores. And it was perfect because at that point I was negotiating – you know, from my perspective, it wasn't like, please let me in, please. And I'm like, well, we, we, we want the price lower and lower and lower. I was like, well, no, like, this is our price. Like, you know, if you don't like it, it's fine. We'll, we'll sell it somewhere else. Um, we got into all the Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, started selling like crazy. And, you know, we've grown the company from a single SKU. We now have over 30 products. We have Scrub Daddy, Scrub Mommy, Scour Daddy, Eraser Daddy, Sponge Daddy, we have the, the we have holders for it. We have the Daddy Caddy, the Sponge Caddy. We just launched our new product called Scrub Daisy, which is a dish wand system. Um, we are just you know expanding the line all the time, and you know at this point, uh, I, I you know my invention process is like every day we're inventing a new product and adding it to the line. It's just it's it's absolutely a dream come true, and I have the you know one of the most wonderful teams of 
my 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 closest people in the business are they've either been working for me for 15 years or more, and they're like some of my closest friends. Uh, but mm-hmm. my actual best friend, who went to Akiba Hebrew Academy with me, is the senior vice president of corporate strategy. Uh, my wife is in the business. My brother-in-law is in the business. So it's a really it's a family affair. Nice. And how many how many employees do you have right now? We have about 65 employees now in, in our Fullcroft, Pennsylvania location. We have 80,000 square foot facility, uh, two different buildings across the street from each other. And um, it's, uh, it's a lot of work, but, uh, you know, the, uh, all, all the people who work here are really well taken care of. And, you know, one of the, one of the things I pride myself in is, is how we treat the people that work for the company. I cover 100% of everyone's health insurance in a gold plan. And we have 401k profit sharing, defined benefits plan, paid time off. Um, I, I really, I cater lunch for uh, all the, all the office staff every day. Um, so we, we really try to take care of the people who work here and make it a career, not a, you know, a, a stop along the way. Sounds like an awesome place to work. It is. It's a really fun place to work. It's my, I really feel like I, I've kind of taken my personality and just, turned it into a business um you know we we have a, this uh, our lunchtime where we have like all the people from the office which is about 20 people is very collaborative we get we all get together and everyone shares like what they're what they're up to what they're doing and then it, just, it always turns into like you know a geek out session with like oh what are we doing next for marketing and someone's like i have a new idea for a product and it's uh it, it is a really really fun place it's it's very high energy and it's very high stress because you know we're constantly we're growing so quickly and we're also, you know, we're very visible to the public. You know, we keep getting on television ads and keep getting on, you know, uh, magazines and, um, and, and, and newspapers like, like yourself. Um, and so we're always in the public eye. So there's a lot of stress on the company, a lot of people working hard to keep up with our growth and to make sure our, our products are the, you know, the highest quality. Uh, but at the same time, it's extremely rewarding. Right, and, and your stuff is made in Germany or in the United States. I'm a little bit confused about that because you said you have a facility in. Well, that's, in, uh... yeah, that's correct. It's very, it's very interesting, actually. Um, so again, the material is all from Germany. The the material that makes scrub dye, we call it flex texture. That is a German material, but we we actually ship that material into the United States, where we do all the cutting, the laminating, the packaging. So the product is actually made in the USA from exclusive German material, and now that we're selling around the world. Um, we we're, we sold, you know, over half a million sponges in Germany, just in Germany last month. And wow. it doesn't, you know, obviously doesn't pay us to ship it to the U.S. and package it and then ship it back. So that's all being done in Germany by our German distributor. And now that distributor is also supplying France, U.K., Sweden, Denmark, and Norway. And then we're selling in Korea and Hong Kong and um and soon to be in, the, in, in, in Vietnam and Thailand. And so we have a facility in Shanghai and in Hanoi that uh, gets the German material and then, you know, cuts it and packages it in their languages and then sells it in their country. So wow. it, it's really turning into a global affair, not, oh, was this made in America? It's a combination of lots of stuff. It's German material, uh, American ingenuity, um, and... You know, other other distributors around the world who are helping to sell it. Are you selling in Israel? We are currently working to get it sold in Israel. We have not found the right partner. Uh, we're trying very hard, but I'm I'm very very picky about who represents our brand. 
So I, I've gotten, you know, I get calls from people every day. But if it's if you send me an email from a Gmail account or a Yahoo account, um, I want to be your distributor. You've already disqualified yourself. Um, you need to be a someone who is a distributor of of grocery packaging, you know, grocery products or sponges or cleaning products already, right. and you already have the distribution network set up, and you're a reputable company. Um, you know, I, I need to be able to do a credit check and see that you know you pay your bills. So uh, we get, I've got so many people from Israel that have you know, sent me emails and they want to be our distributor, but they don't have the right qualifications. So uh, we, we are talking to a couple of them. They, they're currently being vetted. Um, and one day we will have a, a very strong distributor in Israel. Sounds good. Now, can I ask you, how much money have you done in sales? Well, we don't really share our, we're a private company, so I don't share our exact financials. I can tell you that since we aired on Shark Tank in 2012, uh, we've done $150 million in retail sales. Wow. So do you ever think about the fact that a $150 million idea sat in a box for five years? No, every single day. <laughs> and I, I look at all my other crazy inventions. They're like, wait, could I use this for something else now? Because, you know, I'm always wondering... What else is sitting in my junk pile? A lot of my employees laugh at me. They call me a pack rat because I, I really don't throw anything away. I, I'm like, well, I, you know, I don't I work, but I, I'm not throwing it away. I keep it in a box. And I, I tend to always go back and try to reuse ideas. Um, yeah, so I, I think about it all the time. I think it's one of the most, one of the craziest, you know, things about the story. But I'll tell you one that's even crazier. Okay. So. The company that bought me out in 2008 and didn't want Scrub Daddy is 3M. Right. Do you know who the largest sponge company in the world is? They own 80% of a billion-dollar marketplace, and they, they, they are literally the number one, number two, and number three sponges in the world. Who is it? It's a company called Scotch-Brite. Have you ever okay. heard of Scotch-Brite sponges? Yeah. So the number one is Scotch-Brite, and number two is Ocello, and number three is a product called Doby, which is a scouring pad. Those are the top three brands. They sell 80% or more of the world market share. All three of those brands are owned by? 3M. By 3M. Wow. And you know who's their, you know who their biggest competitor is now? You guys. Scrub that. <laughs> right. So I, I think it's, even more crazy that there was this sponge that I had invented for cleaning your hands. Um, and 3M was like, we don't want that sponge. You have no sales in it. It's, you know, we don't think it's going to be anything big. Um, we want it removed from the deal because we're not going to pay you what you want for it. Because I had a patent on it. So I, we probably didn't, you asked me, do I have a patent on the material? I, I don't. I told you I don't want to have a patent on it. But I do have two patents on the shape. So I own the smiley face sponge shape, and I have a patent on that. No one else can make that smiley face sponge shape. And I also own the trademarks on that shape. Nice. When, when you said that the, the uh, scrub that he sat in the box for five years, do you think it was uh, just the right time for it to come out, or do you think had you brought it out earlier, it would have been successful as well? I, I'm going to have to say that uh, you know, timing in business is everything. And um, if I had brought it out, you know, much earlier, um, it would it would absolutely not have been successful. Uh, five years earlier, there was no such thing as Shark Tank. I couldn't have gotten on that show. 
uh, I wouldn't have partnered with Lori Grenier from, you know, QVC. Um, I probably, you know, QVC probably wasn't ready for it at that point. Um, there's, there's so many, so many things that, you know, wouldn't have lined up at that time. Um, so I, I think that it was perfect that it sat in that box for five years. You know, wine, wines get better over time, too. Right. Right. It right. sat in the box, like, you know, fermenting for five more years and scrubbed out. It became, you know, what it was intended to be. Um, it just took a little bit more time. Uh, it never would have been what it is today if I had, you know, just started selling it and trying to sell it back then. All of the stars hadn't lined up at that point. Right. And uh, what's the best thing that Laurie has brought to the business? Oh, it's such a, there's so many things. Um, I, I'm going to say her PR power. So, you know, she gives me advice if I want on packaging designs and from a woman's perspective and, um, you know, with different retailers, she's got great, you know, relationships with. Um, but what she really does, she's, she's in the public eye, you know, way more than I am. And even when she's on Shark Tank now, she, she'll reference us you know, trying to get a, another entrepreneur to sign up with her, she'll say, well, have you heard of what I've done with Scrub Daddy? And of course, like as soon as it happens, our website explodes and she'll go on to Good Morning America and they'll be interviewing her. So Lori, what's your favorite deal? What's, you know, what's the best deal you've done? Oh, have you heard about Scrub Daddy? And she gets us like, uh, she just called me up like last week and was like, I'm going to be on a show called The View. I don't know if you're familiar with The yes, View. Of course. It's a show on ABC. So she's going to be on The View. And they're doing a thing called View Your Deal. And Lori gets to pick, you know, a couple of her entrepreneurs, her products. Um, and they literally, she does a presentation to the entire audience. And people can buy it, you know, for a discounted price on that day. And she called me up. She's like, oh, my God, I want to do, you know, a couple of your new products. You know, what can you offer? And I'm going to be on The View on the October, I think it's 15th. Um, and Lori will actually do a demonstration of Scrub Daddy. And we'll have a huge amount of sales huge amount of publicity. And so if I can say her, her biggest strength is, you know, she is a, a constant PR train that is, you know, always out there in the public promoting us and helping us, you know, get more brand awareness. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Do you have a few more minutes for just a few more questions? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So you mentioned earlier in the pre-interview, you were telling me about the colors. What did you do for the kosher consumer? Um, and how has that affected your business? Like, what have you changed or added? Well, we were asked all the time. Um, you know, we have, our customer service line is constantly getting emails. And many times we get them from people who are, you know, Shomer Kashrut. And they said, can you make, you know, colors? Can you make so I can separate? Because I love your sponge, but I, I need to know which one was for milk, which one is for meat, which one is parf. And so we had already decided that we needed to make um, certain colors because people were using it for more than one area of the home, not just for kosher. They were using one in the kitchen, one in the bathroom, you know, one in the garage. So we needed different colors anyway. And so it was obvious we should just make, you know, some colors that would, would be perfect for people who have, you know, issues with uh, Shomer Kashrut. And uh, therefore we made a red one, a blue one, a green one, a white one. Um, and then our other colors are are actually you know mixed for um, different holiday seasons, mm -hmm. and so that people can keep the sponges separated into different areas of the home. Nice. 
Um, now, what's next for you guys? Like, uh, any exciting new products coming out? Uh, many, many new products. So we are literally on the verge of launching our new product called the Soap Daddy, which is a dual-action soap dispenser. So when you need to put soap into your scrub daddy, instead of having to, you know, pick up the, um, you know, the the soap bottle and and turn it upside down and squeeze it, you just take the scrub daddy in your hand and tap it twice on the top of this beautiful, um, it looks like a vase. Uh, with a flower on the top, and it shoots the soap directly into the sponge. And then if you want to put soap like into a pan, you just squeeze it, and it puts one drop of soap exactly where you want it to. So that's going to launch um, probably in early 2019. Uh, we're just finishing up the prototypes of that. And we recently just launched our new product called Scrub Daisy, which is three interchangeable scrubbing heads. And each one has a different scrubbing function. And they all look like a flower that sits in a vase at your sink like a bouquet. Um, and then we have new heads coming out next year called the Cactus, which will be a, a bottle scrubbing brush. And they all connect onto the same soap dispensing wand. You can view all of these products on our website at scrubdaddy.com. There's videos of every single one of them. Um, and then we also are launching um, a new eraser material like uh, – there's a product called um, Magic Eraser, which has become very popular for erasing scuff marks. Right, and we have a new Mr. version launched. It's from Mr. Clean, but they don't own the exclusivity on the material. So the mm -hmm. material is available to everyone. And if you go on our website, you'll see we took that eraser material and married it with Scrub Daddy material. And it has many advantages because it's got two sides of different scrubbing power. One of the most exciting things that we did recently and is, is just starting to hit the stores is we did a collaboration. Um, we own the license for SpongeBob. So if you're familiar with SpongeBob SquarePants yeah, sure. um, and Nickelodeon, right. we've done, we actually own the license for scrubbers and sponges and screen cleaners. And we re recently just launched our pineapple under the sea scented scrub dyes. They smell like pina colada. It's such a great scent. And we did a test on QVC and sold like 30,000 of them in like 10 minutes. Uh, and I mean 30,000 sets of six. Wow. So it was, a, it was a huge day. In fact, we sold out of all of them, and we didn't have any to get into the retail market. So we just uh, placed a new order, and it's arriving any day now, um, and they're going to be going into all different stores like Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, Walmart. We presented it to the other day. They loved it. And you'll start seeing this amazing pineapple-scented sponge show up in, in retailers all over the country. And we're really excited about that collaboration with Nickelodeon and SpongeBob. Three more questions. If that's okay. Um, yeah, go ahead. Number one, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you on this business, and how did you get over it? And so many good things, it's hard to think about what the worst thing is. Um, biggest challenge. I think, you know, yeah, the biggest challenge. Um, I'm, there's, I'm there's glad that you can't find I mean, one. That's awesome. Well, there's, there's two, but, but it's, there, there, there's been so many amazing successes. Um, and it is hard to it is hard to say you know, that nothing we haven't had any any tragedies that are like oh my god you're going out of business like it just hasn't happened like that thank God mm -hmm. um, you know Baruch Hashem it hasn't happened but um, there I told you about one of them um, one of them was when I when I did my my first QVC show I didn't get into the real details about it but mm -hmm. I I really I I thought that that was like the biggest moment of my life I I kind of had always been tape recording myself when I was a kid and asking people to, you know, take videos of me. I used to make funny videos and 
and I, I tried documenting my whole business career on video. And I remember like, you know, uh, the camera would come on. I'd be like, is the camera on? I love to be in front of the camera. And this was like my one big shot at like, I was going to be on a national television show and this was going to be the highlight of my life. And I failed. I, I, I was scared. I didn't, I didn't know how to effectively um, engage with the host so that she didn't take over the show. And when that show ended, my broker, who I told you about, came around the corner screaming at me. I told you not to let her take over the show. You ruined it. You know, that you only sold 40%. It's way below goal. You'll never be on TV again. Pack up your stuff and get out of here. Like, that's what he did. I went home almost suicidal. I, oh, I was so upset. I, I literally, it, I, I, I couldn't even, re, you know, remember the fact that I had sold my business <laughs> to 3M and had made a lot of money and I was, I was literally financially independent already and I was successful in my own right. And here I was thinking I was the biggest loser in the world and that I have no reason to live. And I, I was doing that sitting on the soccer field um, my show was at like six in the morning. So imagine by nine o'clock in the morning, I'm on the soccer field watching my daughter play soccer and I am in tears and my phone rings and it's the broker. And he's like, look, I'm really sorry. I was so hard on you, but I had such high expectations for you. I know, I know who you are. I know your personality. You should have just done great. And it's the host's fault for like talking over you the whole time, but you're not going to believe this. I just got a call from the, the buyer and the producer and they loved your energy and they're going to give you another shot. And I think the way I overcame it was I was like, I'm not going to let that happen again. Like I'm going to take this show over irregardless of what everyone has told me. You know, I was told a million times by QVC, don't take over the show. Don't interrupt the host. Be very, you know, very quiet. We don't want hard selling. We don't do our show like a used car salesman. Don't be your crazy energetic self. And instead, I was like, I'm going to be myself. And as soon as I did that, the numbers went through the roof. And the truth about QVC is you got to hit your numbers. And, you know, if you're doing great numbers, no one's going to complain. If you're doing bad numbers, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, so that was, that was one – that was a really big thing to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's how I turned it around. Um, the second one was actually um, – it aired on a, on a show. You could actually look it up on YouTube – um, Shark Tank had a follow-up show called Beyond the Tank. Yeah, I um, saw that. And in that show, yeah, so in that show, we were actually having a, a really big issue with our German manufacturer. They, they basically had run out of capacity to make our material, and they weren't going to do anything about it. Um, and we were placing orders, and they were like, well, you know, we, we, we can't make it that quickly. And we were going to have to shut down a lot of our new product development because they couldn't keep up with the production. And they never expected the product to grow this quickly, and they just didn't have the infrastructure and the systems in place to meet our demand, and they weren't willing to just, you know, invest that money. We were like, well, what are you guys doing about it? They're like, nothing. It's your product. You do something about it. Oh, man. And, and so we got into this, this issue, and it was around that time that Shark Tank came to me and said, hey, are you having any business issues because we'd really like to focus on – you know, a problem that you're having and how you might resolve and, and film it on camera. And so we invited the Germans to come to Philadelphia and we did the meeting on air. Um, at the end of the segment, I saw that. Yeah, that's the end of the segment. And 
um, the way we overcame it, and, and you asked me, how does Lori help me? Lori was in that meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, sh- she showed up at the meeting, and we literally negotiated with the Germans, and we said, look, we'll commit to buy a certain amount of material, and, and we'll increase the amount of business by X amount if you guys spend the money to, to do it. And, right. and they said, okay, and, then, and, we, and we did it. So that, that, that's how we resolved the other issue, and it's been, it's been fine ever since. Um, you know, we have, you know, many challenges every day in business. You know, there's all kinds of, of little challenges where machines break down or, um, you know, one, one problem we're having right now is we can't, we have another supply issue. We launched a new product called Scour Daddy, um, and the supply chain is really difficult. Um, it goes from Germany to Shanghai, and in Shanghai, they're knitting this mesh and they're, um, sewing the, the material and putting the scrub dye material inside of it, and then they ship it to us for packaging. Um, and the, the logistics of that supply chain takes so long, we can't keep up with the current demand. The product is selling, we're selling over 10,000 three-packs a week in just in Walmart. And it's in Walmart, it's in Kroger, it's in Bed Bath, and we can't keep up. And every time that you don't hit your, your orders by these big suppliers, they fine you. And sometimes the fines, are so high that you lose money on the entire order. And it's really, really frustrating. And I've, I've actually had to air shipments from, from Asia just to keep up with our demand in Walmart. And of course I lose money on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, it, so air shipping gets so, really expensive. It's so expensive, but you know, it, what's more expensive is to be fined by Walmart and to lose face. If you lose a lot of face with Walmart, you'll get kicked out. And, and you know, I can't, you know, we, we have at least a, a bi-yearly meeting with the Walmart buyer. And when you go in there, if, you know, if, if they're like, hey, you are never on time in your shipments. We can't have business like this. You guys are out. Um, I, I, would rather, I would rather airship it in and lose money and figure out how to fix my supply chain um, than I would, you know, lose the business in a store like Walmart where they have 4,000 stores all over the country. And so uh, the way we're overcoming that, is my Asian supplier set up another manufacturing facility in Hanoi, Vietnam, and they're mm-hmm. doubling their capacity. And it will just take us, you know, another two or three turns before we're, we're up, we have enough stock all the time. Awesome. Okay. Um, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to start a new business? I, I've been asked that question all the time. My answer is always the same. When you start a new business, um, uh, if, you know, unless you, you're a commodity, which I don't like going into businesses where I'm just making the same thing as everyone else. I always want to have, you know, some, what's special about me. And if you're doing something that's special and you believe in your product, do not undercharge when you start a business. The biggest mistake I see, in, you know, small business people and entrepreneurs make is they're so into getting the sales and having large numbers that they don't, they miss the point of being in business, which is to make money. And so they undercharge for their product or their services so that they can compete with everyone else out there. Instead, make the best product, the best service, and charge the higher price because you need to have that, that cushion. You, yeah. Believe me, you never know how many problems you're going to have in business until you have them. And when you have them and you don't have enough money to weather that storm, you go out of business. So you don't have to get a hundred million, you know, sales. You, you could have a thousand sales. If you charge the right money and you, and you've made the right margin, 
you'll be able to, you know, one day when the water heater breaks or your air conditioner system goes out, you're not like, well, I was never counting on that happening. You know, you'll have a cushion and you'll be able to pay for it. And I, that's what I do with scrub day. I was told every day, no one will pay $4 for your sponge. No one. And I said, well, that's their problem. It's the greatest sponge in the world and no one else can make it. I'm not selling it on a competition level with a one or $2 sponge. It is a $4 sponge. And I'm going to need that money for marketing, advertising, and for growing the business. And if people don't buy it, if I sell less of them, but I make more, good. I did less work and I made the same money. Great. You know, and, I, and, and you'll, you'll find that most entrepreneurs have, have the wrong mindset. They're so, they're so young and excited. They just want to jump in and they just want to sale, 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 sale. And they, they undercharge. And then they don't have any money to, to actually keep the business going. So you don't believe in doing promotions or going on sale and stuff like that? I do. I believe on going on promotions, but I believe you got, that's exactly the point. You have to start your price high so that you're even able to go on promotions. People will start out with this low margin every day, and then they'll never able to go on promotions. I see. Okay, how do you deal with stress? Uh, I live for it. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. it. It's what makes me, it's what, it's what I wake up in the morning for. I eat it. Wow, you sound like a monster. That's awesome. Okay. Um, <laughs> stress, stress, stress is I, 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 you got to know yourself, and I can tell you, like, I could never study for tests like a month or a week in advance. Like two nights before, when the stress was on, that's when I perform my best. That's when I write my best speeches. You know, like two hours before, a, you know, I'm, I'm gonna give a speech. I'm like, oh my god, and then I sit down and I type out something that's really beautiful. I just can't do it unless I'm under stress. I, I live for that, that stressful moment. I don't look at it as stress. I mean, there's obviously it is stress and it's hard. Um, but if, if, it, if you get stressed out by, by your, by business, you, I don't see how you can function. Then you're not, you shouldn't be in business. You should go get a nine to five job where you're not under the stress of being an entrepreneur is stress and you should enjoy it. It's a really fun ride. Wow. Well, thank God you've had a really fun ride, and I uh, hope that this interview will bring a lot of inspiration to others. One last question, if that's okay. If you could have a beer with anybody in the world, alive or dead, anyone throughout history, who would it be? Benjamin Franklin. Why? Um, I think he's one of the most prolific inventors uh, and he was doing things that were so way beyond his time, inventing electricity, inventing bifocals, inventing the, the, the first post office in the United States, being a statesman, being one of the, the, the people who negotiated um, the, the French to help you know, America in, in the Revolutionary War. I mean, this was someone who could do everything in the 1700s. Uh, I would love to hear his thought process how he came up with these inventions when there was like no internet, no backbone, no email. Like he did these things. I don't even know how people, there was no light bulbs. There was no electricity. Like, how did you make bifocals? Like that's just crazy. Um, I, I'm just so impressed with, with what he did. The other one is Nikolai Tesla. I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar who Nikolai Tesla yeah, sure. is. He actually invented the modern electric grid and no one even gives him credit for it. 
he invented the the alternating current that the the world works on he 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 was just he's another person that's so way beyond his time um and i don't think he gets enough credit for it so i'd really like to go back and tell him how impressed i was with with what he's done and how he changed the world and um i mean thomas edison is the one who gets all the credit for everything and you know edison actually stole a lot of the stuff from from tesla oh, i didn't know that Okay. Yeah, they were they, they were they were they were actually at war with each other. They hated each other. <laughs> really, Tesla was in Serbia, right? Um, he was. No, he came to the United States as well. Oh yeah, I thought he stayed there. Okay, I was in Serbia recently, and I saw like the whole airport is named after him, and it's like the national pride. Oh, he is the national pride. And by the way, uh, my favorite, you know, car company is named after him, and I own two of them. Good for you. Yeah, I, I, I'm. That's that, and and that's my. I'll give you one more. That's my other, my other idol Elon. is Elon Musk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Elon is is a beast. Anything that I think that I am, he's ten times. He's really. No, he's uh, a million times. And he's an amazing thinker. Like the he, ideas that he's come up with are unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. He is. He's a. He, he's a visionary like Steve Jobs is. He's yeah. like, who 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 creates rockets and cars? And hyperloops and Solar City and PayPal, like he can do anything. You forgot about the except keep a marriage, except except keep a marriage together. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so so much. I appreciate it tremendously. I'm sure our readers and listeners are going to love this. Really inspiring. Excited. Um, I think is my favorite. Please, please send me a copy. Oh, for sure. Oh my God, thank you. That is really, really, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I really appreciate you coming I have a question. I have a, I have a question for you. Sure. Do you have you have you used Scrub Daddy yet? I have not. I because it's not available in Israel, I haven't used it yet. But I'm looking forward to it coming. And we're going to be in New York in October and November. And I'm definitely going to pick some up. Well, I'll save you the time. Um, please. Uh, send your address to, and I'll have a, a package to go out to you. Okay, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Welcome back to You Are Not a Goat. That was a truly amazing interview. It's unbelievable. Like, it just boggles my mind the fact that this product sat in a box for five years. So please do not procrastinate. Just Go out and do something. Start something. You probably will not regret it. You can learn more about Aaron Krauss and his company Scrub Daddy at www.scrubdaddy.com. That's S-C-R-U-B-D-A-D-D-Y.com. Obviously, the link to that is in the show description. Check it out. I have these sponges in my house. Aaron sent them to me. They're really awesome. And I do recommend that you should buy some for your home as well. On another note, I know that many people use YouTube very often to watch videos. I also use YouTube from time to time. And we have a channel for the podcast on YouTube. You're going to want to subscribe to that channel. It's a, You Are Not a Goat. Just search it, subscribe, and I'll tell you why you want to subscribe. Because very soon, we're going to be starting with video episodes. I can't promise that every episode is going to be a video episode. I would like to produce every episode in video format as well, but that's not going to happen for now. But every now and then, there's going to be a video episode starting pretty soon. And they're going to be very interesting. Most of the interviews that I've conducted so far have been over the phone, but I'm going to start meeting with people in person and filming it. A lot of good guests coming up on the show, so you don't want to miss that. Please subscribe, youtube.com, you are not a goat. 
Additionally, please subscribe to the iTunes feed or the feed on whichever platform you use to listen to your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. And of course, another friendly reminder to please leave a review. It helps the show grow tremendously. We can become the number one podcast on iTunes if we get enough reviews. So please help me with that. Lastly, I always love hearing from you guys. Any feedback, comments, criticism, whatever ideas you have, please contact me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Chusidel, that's C-H-U-S-I-D-E-L. And again, I always love hearing from you, and I respond to every single message. It may take me a couple days to get to it, but I will respond. So please get in touch with me. I look forward to hearing from you, and I look forward to seeing you next week. You are not a goat. The podcast for you.